0: There is nothing greater than the name of Jesus in our lives. And I think it's just, for me, it's amazing that we have Jesus Christ to be able to come to. We don't deserve Him, but we need Him because we're all sinners. We've all done something in our lives that have made us grieve, made us feel guilt, made us feel shame. We all have that stain of sin on our hearts, but we have Jesus Christ to thank to be able to come to Him and to know that because of his sacrifice that we have forgiveness through him and through his blood that he shed for us. And so real quick, before we jump to the sermon, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just wanna thank you so much. Let us always thank you, Lord, for the fact that we have your son, Jesus. I thank you that you sent him to die on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead so that we can be with you one day for all of eternity, Lord. I know that this life is a struggle. I know that it's hard, but it's such a small amount of time in the grand scheme of all of eternity. And so I pray, God, that you would give us endurance, that you would give us perseverance as we struggle through these difficult times, knowing that at the end, there is a reward that is so much greater because of what you have done for us. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen, amen. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Boz. I'm the community care pastor here at God Squad Church. Whether you're watching live right now, maybe you're watching a VOD, maybe you're watching on YouTube or listening on one of the other platforms that we have here. I wanna welcome you to God Squad Church and I have the honor to bring you guys the sermon today. And it's gonna be a little bit of a different sermon uh, than I've preached before in the past. The first portion of it is gonna be kind of informative and the second portion is gonna be more of the portion where we're gonna be able to to apply things to our lives. But uh, I, I'm excited. And we're going to continue in Luke. And we've been going through a series of Luke for the past couple of months. We're going to continue in Luke. We're in the middle of chapter two. So we're going to be going and diving into that later today. But first, I want you to, I want to give a couple examples before we get right into the meat of the sermon. And so first, I want you to think of a game. I want you guys, maybe you would need to close your eyes. You really need to visualize this. I know as gamers, we, 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 we're very we're very uh we're, we're into our games and so sometimes we just need to visualize it but i want you to think of a game that you've played for a little while and after you've played it for a little while you acquired acquired a pretty powerful weapon, and really a weapon that could get you through the better half for even the majority of a game. And so to give you guys an example for me, I know that in the game of Skyrim, I know I use Skyrim all the time in my sermons, but in the game of Skyrim, I'm, I normally go the warrior route. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go stealthy, or I'm definitely going to go to mage. Mage is just trash in that game, but I generally end up going the warrior route no matter what. And pretty early on in the game, if you go through a certain amount of quests, you get this axe called Wuthrad. And once you, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how I pronounce it. But once you acquire this axe Wuthrad, which many of you have probably had in the game if you guys played through Skyrim, this weapon can technically take you from that portion where you get it all the way through the end of the game. Like, you don't even have to use any other weapons for the rest of the game. You could just use this two-handed axe and you'll be completely fine, no issues at all. But here's my thing, there are other powerful weapons and there are more powerful weapons in the game. And so what ends up happening is I'll use the more powerful weapon, but I have a really hard time giving up the weapon that I've been using for the better half of the game. So what do I do instead of selling it to a merchant where I could get some, you know, decent amount of gold, especially with the enchantment that I put on it. I end up putting it in a chest where I'll never see it again, or maybe I'll go a little bit farther and I'll put it on one of the mannequins in the house that I made in Skyrim, I'll put it on the middle mannequin. And the reason why is because it's valuable to me. It's not valuable money-wise, but it's valuable because I've been using it for a certain amount of time. Now, to give you a better example, because I had to put this in here. A few days ago, Nintendo announced something, and my heart, was, my soul was blessed by it. But guys, we finally have a release day and a name of the new Zelda game that's coming up. All those people out there that have been calling it Breath of the Wild 2. Listen, I have I have something against you because it, I knew it wasn't going to be called Breath of the Wild 2. It was Breath of the Wild, the sequel to that game. And it, Pinky, I see you in there. This is the, for first service. I see you, Breath of the Wild 2. I don't want to see those, okay? I don't want to see any hashtags, Breath of the Wild 2, all right? But here's the thing. We finally got a release date. But for me, The Legend of Zelda is such an amazing series. I will never... I will never buy a digital copy until they force me to of these games. I want the physical copy, because for me, it's valuable. So I brought with me a couple of things today to show, to show off some of my collections. The first thing, I have the Wind Waker version, Okay, well the GameCube version of The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. And you're thinking to yourselves, but there is a better version or another version of the game. But I said to myself, you know what, Nintendo, you can't fool me. But you did fool me. And so I bought the better version of the game. I bought the HD version of Wind Waker for the Wii U. Now this is a throwback as well. Twilight Princess for the GameCube. I have it still. I will not sell this copy. And it's on the GameCube, not the Wii. It's the GameCube. You can see it right there. Twilight Princess, I got it day one. I pre-ordered it. I will never give this game away. And I said, Nintendo, you fooled me once, but you can't fool me twice. But you did fool me twice. And I bought the Wii U version, the HD version. Actually, it's still actually in the the wrapping so technically this actually holds an amount of value money wise but i still have the game and i won't be getting rid of it anytime soon and so then we get to finally skyward sword i bought the super special edition that came with a gold controller and everything because it held value to me fool me once shame on you Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, I don't know, guys. I don't even know what that means, but I bought the Skyward Edition for the Switch. I don't even know if there's a saying for that one. But the fact of the matter is, I will not get rid of these games because they hold value to me. It's something that I love. I don't want to give them up to anybody, no matter what somebody might give me. I don't want to give these things up. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, kind of the customs that the Israelites had back in the day, uh, back in the Old Testament, where they had to present some things to God and the reason why they were presenting these things to God. And so my hope for us today is to help us understand why we ask God for forgiveness, because, you know, once we come to know Jesus Christ, we're forgiven our sins. So why do we need to continue asking God for forgiveness? And what state our hearts should be in when we actually do ask for forgiveness from God. And so the first point that I want to bring here, guys, is the firstborn. This is going to be the very informative part and what the Israelites and their customs were as we go into uh, the scripture today. And so I want to read the scripture uh, for you that we're going to be landing on today, which is from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. And it says this, When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. First, we won't be going into circumcision today and what it means in the Old Testament, why they did it, and how it translates to New Testament. I don't think that's what the author Luke was trying to trying to get out here. There's other There's other verses in the Bible that talk about how it translates to New Testament and things like that. And hey, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents, ask your grandparents, or something like that. But we're not going to go into it today. What I do want to explain, though— is something that might be kind of odd to our culture. Is presenting your firstborn male to God. Now, listen, we do baby dedications. We do those things in church where you dedicate your baby. You know, and and, and I get that. But this is just the firstborn male. That's that's it. It's just the firstborn. You present that to the Lord. But why only the firstborn? Why would they even do something like this? And so the first thing to understand is that the Israelites are the firstborn children of God. They are God's children from the Old Testament. And we know this from Exodus chapter 4, verse 33, which I'll read for you right now. And it says this, And you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son this practice of giving their firstborn to god of presenting him it honored this fact that israel was god's firstborn child second in this day and age the firstborn was thought to be the best now we know that's not true today i'm 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 the, I'm the youngest in my family so i'm like i'm like on the bottom of the totem pole you know what i mean in in this day and age i was thought of, of not that much <laughs> there wasn't much going for the youngest But the firstborn in this day and age was thought to be the best. And so we always say not to give of your leftovers, not to give of what you have extra of to God, but to give of your first fruits. I believe that goes for many things of your time, your talents, your finances. I think it can go for many things, but for the Israelites, this also meant presenting your firstborn to the Lord. And it, it, it kind of exemplified the whole point of bringing your first fruits to God. And finally, it was a reminder to the Israelites that God redeemed his children from being slaves in Egypt. If you guys remember that story back in Exodus, God delivered them through the plague of destroying every single firstborn in the nation of Egypt. He, God killed the, all of the firstborns in Egypt were dead. And through that, the Israelites were saved from being slaves in Egypt. And there was other plagues and things like that, and other things that happened, sure, but really that was the factor that finally they were free from Egypt. And this was a memorial to the fact and a reminder to them as well as they gave their firstborn or presented or dedicated their firstborn to the Lord. So this was a very normal practice among the Israelites. It was not odd. So Mary and Joseph presented or dedicated Jesus as their firstborn to the Lord in obedience to him in accordance to what the law of Moses had told them to do. Now, I want to get to the second part of this because it's a little bit interesting what Mary and Joseph do here. And so this is the second point is the offerings, the offerings. As humans, when we do something wrong, we can break trust in that relationship. Normally, to build trust back with somebody, you need to make it up to that person, right? I've done things wrong against people. You've probably done things wrong against people or against other people, maybe against your friends, maybe against your spouse or your family. And normally, when you do something wrong to somebody, you need to gain back their trust. You need to build that relationship back. You need to earn back and make good on what it was that you did wrong. And there is nothing wrong with this way of thinking. I don't want you to think that. uh, There's nothing wrong with this way of thinking towards one another. And even in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, I'll read this for you. It says this, So if you are offering your gift at the altar there, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Being reconciled with others is a good thing. This is not a bad thing, but in our relationship with God, there's nothing that we can give that will help us to have more favor. There's nothing that we can give that will help us to be cleansed, to be forgiven, or having the shame and guilt of the sin that we did against him to be cleansed or to be gone or to leave us. There's nothing that we can give to God. There's nothing that I can do. There's no righteous act that I can do to be cleansed of the things that I've done wrong. The gifts that we bring to God are not important from what we read in the Bible. They're not important. Now, I'm not saying that doing good things and giving gifts or anything like that. I'm not saying those are those are not good things. I think that God asks us and requires of that, uh, that of us at many times. But I'm saying in regards to being cleansed, in regards to asking for forgiveness from God, there is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that you can give to God that will allow you to have more favor in his eyes or to have more mercy or to have more grace. The gift doesn't matter. The offering that you give doesn't matter. And so I want to read Luke chapter 2, versus, verse uh, 24, and it says this. This is still Mary and Joseph. This is right after they ju- just dedicated Jesus. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtledoves and two young pigeons. To understand this a little bit better, I want to mention a few things about why they sacrificed two birds and what they rep- represented. First, I want to make this cut and clear. This is not where the 12 days of Christmas spawned, okay? I know it says two turtle doves, it does not say a partridge and a pear tree, okay? I don't know, maybe the people that did the 12 days of Christmas, maybe this is where they got it. Maybe they were reading through the book of Luke, two turtle doves. Let's put a partridge in a pear tree there. I don't even know what a partridge even is, but, and I've never seen a pear tree, but listen, I I just want to say that is not where it comes from. Moving along though. The second thing I think we can grab from here is that Mary and Joseph brought two birds because they didn't have the ability to bring a female lamb or a female goat. You see in Leviticus, the law required an offering for the sin that you committed it required you to bring something to God for the sins that you have committed. We know that today we have Jesus Christ, it's different. He was the final sacrifice. But in this day and age they had to bring something to God to be offered as a sacrifice for the sins that they committed. And normally, you'd present a female lamb or a female goat. However, God knew that not everyone was able to do this. He knew that not everyone was of the status or rich enough or had enough in the flock to be able to bring a female goat or a female lamb. And so what did God say? He said, okay, I know that you're unable to do this. So what I'm going to do for you right now is you can instead bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, but even then that's like the middle class of people, God said, okay, listen, I know not every single one of you can even do that. So now I'm going to do something that's a little bit different. If you can't bring two female, uh, a female goat or a female lamb, if you can't bring two small birds to me, I'm going to allow you to bring two quarts of flour, two quarts of flour. And that's it. God provided a way for everyone. He provided a way for everyone. And I believe it's important for us to understand what these sacrifices represented as well. The first bird was burnt as an offering to thank God for his mercy and for his grace. That was what the first one was for. It was a burnt offering to thank God for his mercy that he has upon them. The second bird was to atone for their sins. This was the thing that atoned for, for what they've done. This was the thing that would help them to be cleansed of what they did in their lives. That was the second bird. I think it's important for us to thank God for his mercy toward us and to share with him or to share the guilt and the shame that we feel when we've sinned and not to take his mercy for granted. Because I know that when I ask for God for forgiveness, sometimes I think sometimes I take his mercy for granted. I think sometimes I I know that I, I know that God has done something for me. I understand that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But if we're not thanking God for that and we're not thanking God for his mercy, a lot of times we're just taking it for granted. I think it's so important not to take what God did for us for granted. And I think the next important thing to understand here, and I said this a couple times already, we can see from these verses that the gift does not matter. The offerings that the Israelites brought, that was not the important matter here. Could they give a female goat or a female lamb? Then yes, give it. If you could give of, you know, two birds of two turtle doves or two young pigeons, give it. If you can't give those things, then give two quarts of flour. God was saying, I don't care what status you are. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care if you're rich. You need me anyways. So bring what it is that you can give. And that's okay. I'm going to provide a way for you to be able to be saved, to be able to be cleansed of your sin. And he does this in the new covenant as well. As I said before, Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice. And so it doesn't matter what baggage you carry. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor. It doesn't matter any of those things. God says, you can come to me anyways, no matter who you are coming just as you are. And as I said before, when we break trust with someone, it's normal to feel that we need to do something or somehow build that trust back with somebody. There is absolutely nothing. There is nothing that you can do to repay God for the things that you've done against him. There's no amount of righteous acts that you can do to say to have God be like, now I have more favor upon you. Now I love you more. You brought this gift to me, awesome. In a human standpoint, yeah. We do need to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters, but the reconciliation with God is not us repaying something for him. It's something that he paid for us with his son, Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we can do to repay God back for the sins that you've committed. So what is it that matters? If the gift doesn't matter, what matters? It's your heart. It's the state of your heart that matters. Are you open to receiving the grace and mercy that God has given you, or are you still trying to prop him up with different favors in the hopes that you can receive more mercy or be more under his grace? And I think that us as humans, we need to, we need, we need to receive his grace humbly. We need to receive his mercy humbly and stop making excuses for why we've sinned. And I said that it's the heart of the sinner that matters, but i'll say I'll say this very boldly a lot of I might get a lot of flack for saying this, and some of you may not like what I'm about to say. I believe that if someone is knowingly going into sin and says something along the lines of "I'm saved, so Jesus will just forgive me later. later and they live their life like that, I question that individual salvation. I do not believe that when we are knowingly going into, listen, I understand we slip up sometimes, we mess up, we struggle. I get that. I truly do. I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means. I am saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus. But if, but when somebody says, well, you know what? It's okay for me to do this. God can take a break tonight. He doesn't have to look after me. I can go into this. Jesus has already saved me, so I can just ask for forgiveness later. I question that individual salvation highly because I do not believe that you can follow Jesus with a heart like that. It's the heart that matters when you're asking God for forgiveness of your sins. It's important to ask for forgiveness, but I, I just, I can't get around that fact. I've heard people say that before going through college, going through high school. Well, God wants me to sin more so that there can be more grace. But the book of Romans chapter six, verse one says, no, that is not how it works. That is not how salvation works. May his grace abound all the more. No, that is not what, what we do grieves the heart of God. And so I truly believe that we need to continue living, yes, a righteous life. Like I said, I understand we struggle. I know that we slip up sometimes. But I do believe that we can, we can, we can come to Jesus with a heart that is grieving as well, where there's guilt and shame on our hearts and be saved by him. We can't be using Jesus as our get out of jail free card. So what's the takeaway here? If you've already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, you are forgiven of your sins. You are forgiven of your sins. But I do believe it's a healthy practice to ask God for forgiveness still, no matter what. During this time when you're asking God for forgiveness, we can thank God for his mercy and his grace so as to not take it for granted. But also by asking for forgiveness, this shows that we recognize and accept, I messed up. I did something wrong. I feel the shame. I feel the guilt that's upon me. And so God, I come before you with the things that I've done. So I think it's so important for us when we sin to ask God for forgiveness. Yes, you've already been forgiveness, but I still think it's important to come to him and to ask for that forgiveness anyways. If you haven't accepted Jesus yet in your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to receive him into your life. Many times people have told me that they can't accept Jesus Christ because they need to be better. I need to be at a better place in my life. I need to be more righteous in some way. There needs, there needs to be something that I can do to earn God's favor just a little bit more. Listen, like I said before, there is absolutely nothing that you can do. There is no gift that you can bring to earn these things. You yourself can't change your life around you cannot transform your own life. When people say, I need to be better, the thing that I would say back is accept Jesus so that your life can be better. And if you won't accept him until you are living a better life, you are never going to accept Jesus Christ. That's just the fact. You cannot transform or change your life. Only Jesus can transform you. Jesus Christ came, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead so that you could be saved of your sin. God the Father sent him for you, so that you might be saved. So that when you accept him, when you reach out and you grab onto Jesus, and you say, listen, I've done things that are wrong in my life. He says, I don't care what you've done. I can save those things. I don't care about the baggage you're carrying. I don't care what you did last week. I don't care what you did 10 years ago. When we accept him, Jesus says, I've forgiven you of all of those things. And then when we accept him, we have mercy and grace from God, and we'll be able to live with him for all of eternity in heaven, where there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no diseases, there's no cancer, there's no broken bones, we'll be in paradise with him. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell as well. Those that don't accept Jesus Christ, yes, will suffer eternity in hell. It's still an eternity, but it is eternity in pain, in grief, in despair, where it says there's gnashing of teeth, If you've ever felt that pain before in your life where you feel like you just can't get through something, you're literally grinding your teeth, it's like that for all of eternity where there's no hope, there's no love, and there's no peace. But when we accept Jesus, we have the ability to be able to reach out, come to him because he's given us a way to be able to accept him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life right now. You've been listening to this and you've been like, "Hey, listen, I haven't been feeling conviction for the things that I've done wrong in my life. I haven't I have I've been doing all these things and I've gone I've gone so way off the path. I need to rededicate my life to the Lord and get myself back on track." Hey, I want to give that opportunity to you as well. So if you want to rededicate your life to the Lord or if you want to accept Jesus Christ into your life for the very first time, what I would ask you to do is to repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I come before you right now. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, and I believe that you sent him. I believe that he died on a cross and I believe that he rose from the dead. And right now, God, I accept your mercy, your grace and your salvation. I commit my life to you. And Jesus, I ask you to come live inside of me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.